Hey y'all and welcome back to Mystery, Murder, and Mayhem. This is episode 104 and we're continuing on with Lori Daybell, Chad Daybell. But um, I hope everyone out there is doing well. It's starting to finally heat up here in, in the south and I'm not really liking it a whole lot. But you know what? It is what it is. It, it happens every year. I complain about it every year. But um, I just keep telling myself that this is my last fat summer after I have my surgery, you know. So, that's giving me hope. So, anyway, like I said, you may recall last week I talked about the early life of Lori Ballard Daybell and how she met Chad Daybell, their beliefs in the ultimate murders of her children, and I ended things last week with Chad's arrest. So, tonight I'm going to be talking about um, what happened from after Chad's arrest through the trial. So, let's get started. So now we're up to June of 2020 and Chad is also in jail and authorities have positively identified the remains that they found on Chad's property as Tylee Ryan and JJ Vallow. Well, after the positive IDs were made, <laughs> prosecutors dropped the two felony charges of desertion and non-support of dependent children against Lori and then they turned around and charged her with obstruction or concealment of evidence in regards to her children's remains. Now, I can remember thinking back then that they should just go ahead and charge her with the murders, too, but, you know, we all know how things work with the criminal justice system, and we just have to be patient, and patience usually does pay off. Well, at this time that this is going on, Lori is in Madison County Jail because that's where she was living at the time that the kids went missing. And even though she had two felony charges against her on July the 17th of 2020, Judge Michelle Millard decided to decrease Lori's bail by 50000 on each charge, totaling $150,000. She set a jury trial for Lori to begin on January 25th, 2021. Chad's bail was still a million dollars. But before Lori could go to court, she and Chad were charged with conspiracy to commit first-degree murder and grand theft by deception for the deaths of J.J., Tylee, and Tammy. Now, Lori's charge of grand theft was related to Social Security um, survivor benefits, over um, $1,000 allocated for the care of the minors Tylee and J.J. that were appropriated after the children were missing and ultimately found deceased. Now, Chad's same charge came from insurance fraud where he had collected from a life insurance policy that he had on Tammy. Well, in July, in a somewhat shocking turn of events, and I say shocking as being sarcastic, Lori was found incompetent and unfit to stand trial and the judge granted a stay on her case. And I should also mention at this point 
Lori still hadn't entered a plea in this case. I mean, you know, yeah, she probably does have some sort of mental illness. I won't deny that. But, y'all, in this case, it just doesn't excuse her for doing what she did to her children and so many other people. And I guess authorities in the case also thought that because soon after that, she was found competent to stand trial. I believe she did go through some um, mental health help at a mental health facility. Then in August of 2021, they announced, the prosecutors announced that they would see the death penalty against Chad Daybell. The following month, for the first time, Chad and Tammy Daybell's children spoke publicly about the case, and the main thing that could be taken from their appearance on CBS's 48 Hours is Chad's daughter, Emma Murray, she said that she believed that her father was framed by Lori and her brother, Alex. So, there's that. Now, like I mentioned earlier, when Lori was found incompetent and unfit to stand trial, she hadn't yet entered a plea in the case. Well, she would continue to refuse to do so. And then finally, on April the 19th of 2022, the judge said, you know what, enough is enough, and entered a plea on her behalf. Y'all, there's just so many twists and turns in this case. And I should say that that plea that the judge entered for Lori was not guilty. But, um, you know, this isn't just your average cut-and-dry murder case. Now, like I said, Judge Stephen Boyce, he entered a plea of not guilty on her behalf. And this took place at her arraignment with her um, with her and Chad in the courtroom. Now, an arraignment hadn't happened yet because of the delay while she was being treated for mental illness at a mental health facility. Now, at the beginning of May in 2022, it was announced that Lori did qualify for capital punishment if she was found guilty. She qualified for that because the murders were extraordinarily immoral and they were carried out for financial gain. And if you hear that in the background, that's that's little Philip making his noises. But um, after he finishes eating, he likes to knock his ball around. But anyway, um, in March of this very year, 2023, it was announced that she wouldn't face the death penalty after all because her defense attorney said that they wouldn't have time to review a significant amount of evidence that had been turned over in just the past recent weeks before the trial was, you know, getting ready to begin. So Judge Stephen Boyce agreed with the attorney because Lori hadn't waived her right to a speedy trial. So they couldn't re uh, reschedule the trial at that time. And so they would still continue to pursue the death penalty against Chad, though. So they moved it from death penalty for Lori to life in prison. Now, I'm going to go back to the year 2022 for a minute. And before we get to Lori's trial, on September 23rd of that year, Judge Stephen Boyce announced that he wouldn't allow television cameras in the courtroom because he said that he thought the images would result in Lori not getting a fair trial. Now, I'm not sure how that would result in it because I'm sure everybody had their mind made up about her already. But anyway, that was his decision. 
Now, that included video and still photos. That didn't make a lot of sense to me, like I said, but I do know that during the trial it was streamed on court TV and probably YouTube, too, because, um, but what they were doing was streaming it from the court's own live feed. Then in January of this year, Lori's attorney requested that Lori and her husband, Chad, be able to meet in person and over the phone so that they could discuss strategies and settlement options. But Judge Boyce, he declined the, to allow that. And during that same hearing, Chad's attorney requested that the trial be delayed until the following year and that the death penalty be taken off the table. But instead of a delay, it was decided that Lori and Chad would be tried separately. So up until that point, they were planning on trying them at the same time. Now, Lori's trial, you know, it, it began on April the 3rd. But Chad's trial wasn't scheduled at that time. But now it's like looking like the middle of 2024. And he is still facing the death penalty. Well, then on April 3rd of this year, the moment finally came that everyone keeping up with the case had been waiting for. The trial of Lori Vallow Daybell finally started. And, y'all, it was not quite a spectacle that the Murdoch trial was, but I would say it's pretty up there. Listen, I'm not going to tell you about a product unless it's something I love and I use it on a daily basis. And what I'm about to tell you about is one of those. Over the years, I've packed on quite a few pounds from having babies, stress, eating for comfort, and now as a 51-year-old woman, hormones are not on my side at all. I had been seeing people on social media talking about Obvi. They were talking about how much weight they've lost and how they feel so much better. They had nothing but good things to say about it. Of course, I was skeptical, but you know what? I gave in, and I gave it a try. And boy, am I glad that I did. Over the past five weeks since I started using it, I've lost 22 pounds. I haven't tried every single product that they have, but I have to say my favorite is the Collagenic Burn. Two capsules at breakfast, another two at lunch, and I have energy for the entire day. And it's not that jittery energy and there's no crash when it's done doing its magic and you know you experience that with a lot of products out there plus my hair and nails are growing like crazy and my achy joints feel better each day your results may not be exactly the same as mine but i encourage you to give it a try now all you have to do is click the link in the episode description for my obvi and then you can save 15 percent by using the promo code mystery m of course the trial started with jury selection and boy did they have a pool to, to pull jurors from and it kind of reminded me a lot of the amount of folks that had been summoned to be potential jurors in alex murdoch's murder trial in Lori's trial 1800 potential jurors had been called on to come to the courthouse and from that, it would be narrowed down to 18, with 12 of those being actual jurors, and six would be alternates. Now, they were given a 20-page questionnaire to help weed out any that couldn't guarantee they would be fair or be able 
to fairly try the case. Now, opening arguments began on April the 10th. And in her opening argument, prosecutor Lindsay Blake, she told the courtroom that the case was about Lori Valerie Daybell's desire for money and sex and power and said that Lori used religion to justify her affair with Jay, uh, Chad Daybell and she also used religion to justify the murders of her children and Tammy Daybell. Now, she showed pictures to the jury of Tylee's charred remains. JJ's bound arms and photos from Tammy's autopsy. And she then told the jury that the state didn't have to prove that Lori actually killed anyone to be convicted of first-degree murder, only that she was involved in a meeting of the minds to make it happen. And it was in her opening arguments that she revealed for the first time that Tammy Daybell's cause of death had actually been asphyxiation at the hands of another, not natural causes. Like you may recall, you know, that's what they first said that her, had caused her death was natural causes. Well, when it was the defense's turn, attorney Jim Archibald said that Lori had alibis for all three of the murders and went so far as to insinuate that Lori's brother, Alex Cox, and Chad Daybell had acted on their own in the murders and that Lori had nothing to do with it. He told the jury that they shouldn't hold Lori accountable for their actions. Well, the first to take the stand was Charles Vallow's sister, Kay Woodcock. And she described Lori as a once-adoring mom who Woodcock herself trusted to provide a better life for little J.J. than she could have. And while she was on the stand, she walked the court through a timeline of J.J.'s life, starting with his birth to parents who had struggled with addiction, to his adoption with the Vallows. And she also talked about how she had feared for J.J.'s life after her brother, Charles, had passed away, and it was known that Lori didn't care about him anymore. Testimony was also heard that day from Brandon Bourdais, or, or Boudreaux. I'm sorry about that. And um, Brandon is the ex-husband of Lori's niece, Melanie, and he testified about how his marriage basically fell apart after his wife fell under Lori's influence. After objections from the defense that were overruled, he also testified about a time that he had been shot at in October 2019 by an unknown man in a Jeep that he swore he could connect to Tylee. Then day two started with Judge Boyce denying Lori's request to waive her presence for the afternoon session when Detective Hermosillo was scheduled to testify, which would include horrific photos of her deceased children. And her attorney, they are, he argued that the morning session had been too much for Lori, given her, quote, fragile state of mind, end quote. And Hermosillo was on the witness stand the entire day. And his testimony included the photos that I mentioned, along with describing the search for the, um, the Jeep that Brandon Boudreaux had described in his testimony. Day three ended early due to the death 
of a family member of the prosecutor. But while they were in court, they heard more about how the investigation into Boudreaux's shooting shed light on Chad and Lori's relationship, which eventually led to Tammy Daybell's body being exhumed and autopsied. Fremont County Lieutenant Joe Powell testified that there were three elements in the suspicions in the death of Tammy Daybell. And those were, number one, she was young. Two, that she was in good health, despite the family saying that she had been sick. And three, her, chat, her husband Chad was with another woman, Lori, very soon after her death. And remember, they got married less than a month after Tammy had passed away. Now, when the defense cross-examined him, they, they put emphasis on Lori's alibis, tried distancing Lori from the murders, and again, they put the blame on Lori's brother Alex and Chad Daybell. Then on day four of the trial, Lori's friend, or maybe I should say at this point, former friend, um, she outlined the beginning of the Daybell's relationship when they met at that event in 2018 to when in 2019 she accused the Daybells of being led astray by the devil and begged for information on where JJ was. Now, the jury was able to listen to a recording of that phone call, which Gibb herself had recorded to exonerate herself for lying to the police, which Lori had forced Gibb to do. And in the phone call, Lori told Gibb that J.J. was safe, but she couldn't tell Melanie, you know, what his location was because what she um, called dark forces brought on by Kay Woodcock were after them. Well, while she was still on the stand, Gibb also gave some shocking insight into what Lori's and Chad's belief system was like, and she said that they believed that people signed contracts in the pre-mortal world with the devil that turned them into what they called dark spirits or zombies. And she also said that Chad had told Lori that her husband Charles and his wife Tammy were dark, and several times Lori had tried to cast the evil spirits from their bodies. Lori also believed that J.J., Tylee, and her sister-in-law, Kay Woodcock, were dark and that eventually they would have to die to be saved. Can we say that this is quite the wacko type stuff? But anyway, when she was cross-examined by the defense, Gibbs said that Lori could be very convincing when she tried pushing her beliefs on others, but she wasn't always, or, or she herself wasn't convinced at all. Now, also on the stand that day was Chandler, Arizona police detective Nathan Duncan. And he walked the jury through the investigation into Charles Vallow's shooting and stated that injuries to Vallow's body contradicted Alex Cox's claim that he had shot Vallow twice in the chest in self-defense. Now, also in the investigation that Duncan had done into the shooting, he found a recording in Lori's iCloud account of Chad giving Alex warrior status after Cox had died. It was a corrupt version of a patriarchal blessing of a Mormon, pra Mormon prayer that contains revelations by God. And the jury also got to hear a phone call that Chad had placed on the day of Valley's death to a mortuary 
there in Chandler, asking for a quote, cremating a body and shipping the ashes to Vallow's sister, Kay Woodcock, in Louisiana. And Chad told the mortuary that he was asking for his uncle, who had passed away in the hospital, and he had spelled his name on the phone call as D-A-Y-B-A-L, and that was it for day four. Now, day five started with more testimony from Detective Nathan Duncan, and he shared emails and text messages between Lori and Charles Vallow, Lori and Chad Daybell, and Lori and her brother uh, Alex, and Lori and Melanie Gibb. These people did a lot of texting. We all do. But anyway, the topics of those messages and emails varied from Lori's and Chad's affair, Lori's efforts to cast the demons out of Charles, Charles's life insurance, and an email from Charles Vallow to Tammy Daybell talking about the affair going on between their spouses. And in that email, Charles told Tammy that Lori and Chad were having an affair and said that he had proof of their affair. Now, Duncan did say that there was no evidence that Tammy had even read that email. Duncan also referenced an email that Charles sent to Lori on July the 1st, 2019, saying that he was going to Idaho to speak with Tammy. And Lori's reply was that Tammy wouldn't believe Charles because Tammy was her friend. And as far as Lori's phone records that were obtained by the Chandler Police Department, Duncan talked about a message from Lori to Chad saying that she had found out she wasn't the beneficiary of Charles's life insurance policy, and it was, quote, a spear through my heart, end quote. Now, don't you just wish you could have seen the look on her face when she found that little tidbit of information out that she was no longer the beneficiary of Chad's life insurance now, the rest of that day was taken up by direct examination of a former member of Lori and Chad's cult named Zaluma Pastings. Now, not only was she a member of their cult, but she was also married to Alice Cox at the time that he died. Now, Pastings, she expanded on what Gibb had told the court earlier and then talked about how she had fallen for Lori's charm and how Lori had con this convincing way of explaining things. Now, past Ains really believed that Lori was this person of high spiritual standing because Lori had told her that she was in direct contact with the angel Morani and Jesus Christ. Well, past Ains expressed having the same feelings about Chad and said that he had claimed that he was the Apostle James the Less in a previous life. And guess what? In that same previous life, he was married to Lori. Well, then Pastings described the entire organization that Lori and Chad were trying to build as a cult-like atmosphere and told about how she and others had helped Lori with what they called castings to remove demons from Charles Vallow. The demon that was supposedly inhabiting Charles was called Ned by Lori and Chad. She also talked about participating in another casting of a demon they called Viola that um, was inhabiting Chad's wife, Tammy, which also just happened to take place on the day that Tammy reported being shot at. Well, Pastine said that after the casting, Lori received a phone call that upset her, 
and she recalled her saying, quote, idiot, can't do anything right by himself, end quote. So who do y'all think that idiot was? Because I'm pretty sure that was about someone trying to shoot Tammy and missed, but um, I don't know. I'm, I kind of think that it was, she was talking about her brother Alex, but anyway. Now, among other things, Pastine testified that Alex Cox learned that Tammy Daybell's remains would be exhumed, and he remarked, quote, I think I'm being their fall guy, end quote. And when Pastine's pressed him for more information on what he was talking about, he told her, either I'm a man of God or I'm not, end quote. And the very next day, Alex was dead. Now, do you think that was a coincidence? I don't think so, not a bit. Now, when the defense cross-examined Pastings, she agreed that the teachings of Lori and Chad were very similar to those taught at Preparing a People conferences. And she also told the defense that she no longer believed in the teachings of Lori and Chad. And her experiences with them had taught her to be more cautious of people, and she was less likely to assume the good in people. And that's it for the first day of, or the first week of, of court. And then the second week of court started with the court hearing a jailhouse phone call between Lori and her son, Colby. And in that phone call, Colby confronted Lori about the death of JJ and Tylee. Now, I got, um, I'm going to play the first six minutes of that phone call. So let's listen in. Hello? Hello? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. You think you can hide from me? I'm not hiding. You just took out of me? Probably because you murdered my siblings. It's probably why you're hugging me. Maybe you should understand. I didn't. I'm sorry that you felt that way. You didn't do anything, right? Mom, I've prayed for you in my worst moments. I've prayed for my siblings who swore to me were okay. I thought I could trust you. I thought that you were a completely different person. <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know a murderous mother. You can make judgments when you weren't there and you don't know what happened. How? What happened? Everyone's making their own judgments. Mom, you've been shoving BS on my throat for a very long time. I'm going to talk to you. You can be mad. Hey, listen to me. I'm not mad. Listen to me. Fine, listen to me. I sat there and prayed. I can't tell you the amount of pain that I have felt from your decisions in Jesus Christ's name. It kills me to watch you sit here and tell me this is a trial. It kills me to watch you take the victim's route and say that this shouldn't have happened to you. When you are telling me 
little Chad Bagel came into your life, and all of a sudden, everything changes. And I'm talking about my spirit feels this. I prayed. I trusted you. I gave you every chance I could past my own limitations as a human being. I pushed past all of everything to try to get to you to help my own mother. You lied to me, specifically me, more times than I can count about this. To know that they're gone and you knew and my phone is being texted by my little sister who's not even alive. My little brother who's the sweetest little kid ever. For what purpose? And you tell me this is God's will for my whole family, including my stepfather, to be dead. After everything that you try to tell me, you can tell me right now that Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, is on your side. You tell me that with all the conviction in your heart that Jesus Christ is on your side right now. Please. I can tell you that. Say it. Say his name. Say that he told you. And you followed him on exactness. Because I have prayed for you. I sat there and tried my best to forgive you and Chad and Alex. And I was deceived. And I was broken by my own mother. What are you doing? What are you doing? I plead to heavenly Father, and I said, "You tell me, Father." Oh, I don't care about other people. They think they know it was possible. Do you know that you told me? Do you know that you told me? Because you weren't there. So you. You're right. I wasn't there. I was kept in the lap. And one day, you will know. Murder. One day, you will know what actually happened. You're right. Because you know what, Mom? And we all will stand there with everything into the light. You're absolutely right. He will convict the people who act in his name with pure blasphemy. <laughs> this is funny? This is funny? This is funny. You're laughing. Like, this is funny. How come your camera's on, Mom? You don't want to look at me in the eye? Why can't you look at me? It's, it's nice just me and me. I'm in my house alone. I love you. I mean, can y'all believe that she laughed when she was talking to her one remaining kid about the murders of her other children? 
I, I don't know. Lori just has this evil way about her, and, and that laugh is pretty bone-chilling, too. But, um, and she said that Jesus Christ was on her side. Honey, listen, even Nationwide isn't on your side. But anyway, Colby took the stand for the prosecution, and he talked about when he learned that Charles Vallow had passed away. And at first, he wasn't told by Lori that his uncle Alex had shot Charles. And he also told about, um, or he talked about his thoughts on Alex Cox. Well, also during the second week, it was made known in court that in the hours immediately after Charles was killed, Lori went out and ran errands. She went and got J.J. some breakfast from Burger King. She ran into Walgreens to buy flip-flops for the kids. She dropped J.J. off at school, and then she finally went back home. I mean, she's such a weird, weird person. I don't even think weird's the appropriate word, but... Um, anyway, a witness named April Raymond told the court that Lori asked her to join their cult, but she told April that if she did decide to join them, she would have to leave her kids with her husband. And it was brought out that a person was hired to help take care of J.J., like a nanny-type person, I'm guessing. And that person started doing that job on September the 19th, 2019. But after that, they never saw J.J. again. And J.J.'s former principal said that he was last in school on September the 20th, 2019. Well, body cam footage was shown to the court from the day that the police came to Lori's house to carry out a welfare check. And you could plainly hear Lori say that J.J. was in Arizona with Melanie Gibb. Now, towards the end of week two, some electronics experts started testifying about what was found um, on the various electronic devices. Now, during week three, more electronic evidence was presented and explained by several experts. And they talked about cell phone data, um, text messages between Lori and Chad where they were talking about getting married and they talk about Alex's phone um, being the only device found between Lori's and Chad's properties. A phone call between Lori and her sister Summer was also played for the court and in it Summer was expressing anger about Lori knowing that Tylee and JJ were buried in Chad's backyard while they were living it up in Hawaii. After that, an FBI agent took the stand and he talked about finding Tylee's remains. And he described how um, most of her remains were charred, yet there was still some pink flesh. Um, another FBI agent described finding JJ's remains and how his entire body had been wrapped in plastic and then with duct tape. Dr. Garth Warren took the stand to talk about the autopsies of Tylee and J.J., and he said that J.J.'s cause of death was asphyxia by a plastic bag over the head and duct tape covering his mouth. For Tylee, he said that her death was homicide by unspecified means. However, Dr. Angie Christensen said that in her testimony that Tylee's remains had evidence of thermal damage and sharp trauma. Then Douglas Hilpaska, he testified that 
Tali's hip bones and lower spinal bones could have been stabbed or chopped by like items consistent with something like a, a knife or a cleaver, a hatchet or a machete or something like that. Um, her DNA was found on a shovel and on several parts of a pickaxe. Alex Cox's footprints were found on the black trash bag and duct tape that was on JJ. Now, Tammy Daybell's sister, Samantha Gwilliam, took the stand and talked about the phone call between herself and Chad Daybell when he called her to tell her that Tammy had passed away. And he told her that she had been very sick, coughing a lot at night, and that she had gotten up around midnight with a really bad coughing fit. Then she said that he was awakened, um, or he told her that he was awakened the next morning when he heard Tammy roll out of the bed. Well, on the last day of week three, the jury heard the 911 call that Tammy had placed on the day that she was shot by a man, or shot at by a man with a paintball gun. And later the judge, or the jury heard the 911 call that Chad placed when he found Tammy deceased. And it was brought out in court that Chad had told the coroner that Tammy had been fainting. She had had shaking fits and even had some convulsions. But others had seen Tammy taking fitness classes, and she didn't mention being sick, having coughing spells, or anything like that. And y'all, it looks like this is going to be at least a three-part episode, because y'all, I can watch the goriest movies, like horror or whatever, but the stuff with the description of the kids' autopsies and their bodies and everything is really getting to me. Um, so, I'm going to cut it off right here. Um, so, um, when I come back next week for um, the next episode, we'll talk about the rest of the trial and the verdict. Alright, y'all. Have a good night, an excellent week, and don't forget to check out the links in the episode description.